Welcome to This Week in Legal Blogging, in which we talk with leading bloggers from across the legal industry. My name is Bob Ambrogi. I write my own blog at uh, Law Sites Blog, and I also have a podcast called Law Next. And this show is presented by Lex Blog, providing lawyers with turnkey digital publishing solutions and strategic consulting for 16 years. Find out all about LexBlog at lexblog.com slash products. This show uh, has been running uh, quite a bit of quite a, for quite a while now. Uh, since last April or May, we started this, and you can find all of the back episodes uh, on YouTube at youtube.com slash lexblog. A lot of interesting uh, interviews there. And uh, we are also available as a podcast, and you can find us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today, I'm very happy to uh, have on the program Jason Gavigian. Uh, Jason is a principal at Jackson Lewis, where he's, he's based in New Jersey, uh, and he is uh, editor, co-editor, and co-founder of the blog there, Workplace Privacy Data Management and Security Report. So Jason, welcome to the program. Thanks, Bob. Pleasure to be here. So uh, just uh, before we get started, uh, given what the past year has been like for people, I'd just like to check in on uh, how are you doing? How's the past year been for you? Yeah, hanging in there. You know, I get a little bit worried when anybody who I speak to says they're doing great. <laughs> right. Are you living in a different world than I am? It's uh, certainly been challenging, but I think it's provided a great opportunity for us as attorneys to really adapt and grow and see how we can best service our clients So created a lot of issues and challenges, but it's also uh, been an interesting way to try and navigate through those. Yeah. So you uh, co-lead, I understand the data privacy group, is that right? You became co-leader as of January 1st. So tell me a little bit about your practice and, and about the data privacy group. Yeah. So you're right, Bob. As of January 1, I'm co-lead of our privacy data and cybersecurity group at Jackson Lewis. Um, my practice, I provide advice and counsel and litigation defense to organizations on any privacy or data security related matters or issues. Uh, while I'm based here in New Jersey, uh, my practice is really nationwide and sometimes internationally, given the nature of the topics that I'm dealing with. And as many of my clients have operations in multiple jurisdictions, I also handle class actions for clients on or single plaintiff claims related to privacy, whether under the Telephone Consumer Protection Act, TCPA, or BIPA, the Biometric Information Privacy Act in Illinois, or even claims related to data breach or individual privacy rights. As you can imagine, these issues are constantly evolving and changing, and they create unique challenges for us as attorneys and for our clients. But I enjoy the topic because it's really, in my view, on the cutting edge, and I also like speaking and we're obviously writing on this topic, which is what we're going to talk about today. I find that blogging on a topic, especially one that may be new to or that a client may be new to, it's really a great way to learn about it and really consider all the issues that might be in play. Yeah. Well, I can imagine uh, that the past year must have presented uh, any number of, I don't know if unique, but uh, certainly challenging issues to be uh, writing about and talking about. I mean, what have been some of the big issues just just, just in the past year, just that, that, that the coronavirus crisis and, and working from home has raised in terms of uh, workplace data privacy? Yeah, you're exactly right. So 2020, as I mentioned earlier, created a lot of its own challenges. Uh, certainly COVID-19 had a huge impact there. Um, our group took a lot of work from our existing clients or prospective clients 
related to the employee screening process. So when you're taking temperatures of individuals or asking them symptoms-based questions or travel-based questions, all of those types of inquiries have privacy and ADA concerns. Uh, as employers were looking to do testing for their employees or even in some cases for customers, rolling out vaccines or considering biometric facial recognition software, all of those have privacy and data security issues. So we tried to stay on top of those from a blogging perspective so that our readership can certainly understand those issues and identify them. But at the same time, we also wanted to make sure that other firm blogs and other firm avenues to convey messages to clients were picking up on this content as well. So whether it was on our blog or some of the other COVID-19 resources that we developed specifically to address the pandemic, uh, we were trying to write on a lot of those types of COVID-19 topics as we navigate the existing privacy and data security landscape and those issues, which we were already going to be writing about. Yeah. I'm trying to imagine what it must have been like for you, given your practice area back when this all kind of first, you know, back when all hell broke loose, uh, you know, middle of March or so. I, I mean, were you just getting deluged with, with requests from your clients at that point? Or was there a, an odd silence uh, for, as people were kind of shocked and trying to figure out what, what to do? Well, I will say when we started 2020, we figured that the vast majority of our work and the topics that we were going to be writing on were going to be related to California and the California Consumer Privacy Act right. went into effect as January 1. We're like, all right, this is going to be the big topic for the year. And then right. in March when COVID hit, things changed. You're right, Bob. There was about a, I would say a four, four day to a week window where things were kind of silent. I think clients and businesses were trying to figure out, okay, what is this going to do to us? How are we going to operate here? And then that deluge started and they said, okay, we are going to work. How are we going to do this? And what are the issues we need to consider? And when you're trying to go from an all in place or in-person work environment to a remote work environment without any lead time, it can create any number of privacy and data security issues. Yeah. Um, it's also been, uh, it seems to have been an unusually active year for um, data uh in, in, in data breaches, well, particularly of, of like ransomware attacks against against companies. And I'm, I'm wondering if, if is that something that's related to the to the work from home environment? Or there was just news, you know, in the past week or so of a major law firm uh, apparently being uh, I, I'm a little behind on the news because I'm traveling. But last I read, it looked like they had uh, been the victim of a ransomware attack. Certainly, been a number of law firm. Uh, that were victims of ransomware attacks, uh, as well as companies in, in all sectors. Is, is that a symptom of working from home? It's part of it. So I think it's all tied to the pan underlying pandemic. So the threat actors, the bad guys, they do a very good job of identifying pressure points and ways for them to create an instance of identity theft or to create an instance where they're able to deploy ransomware. So in many cases, they were utilizing the pandemic and pandemic-related communication. For example, hey, you as an employee are going to need to be screened before you come to the workplace. Click here for the screening form. Well, when the individuals were clicking that, it really wasn't the screening form. It was downloading ransomware or encrypting all their servers. So right. those types of avenues certainly created an opportunity for the threat actors. And then working remotely, many of us were either working over unsecure networks maybe even our servers or the systems that a particular organization may have been strained by having now 100 people trying to log in remotely when the standard bandwidth was only for one or two people who might have been working remotely. So I think all of those issues together certainly created a, a perfect storm for the significant increase in data breach that we saw last year. 
Yeah. Is that something that you get involved in at all? Do you advise clients around ransomware attacks at all? Or? We do. We have a significant yeah. data breach and data breach response practice. We work with a lot of insurance carriers and clients who are either not insured or just come to us with issues that they're facing. So as a group, I think we've handled probably close to a thousand, if not over a thousand data breaches for clients. Yeah. Is there a short answer to the question of how clients should respond to ransomware attacks? I mean, should they be transparent about it? Should they, you know, try and negotiate or deal with the those who are seeking the ransom? Well, the guidance from the FBI and the federal regulators says that you should not be paying the ransom. But that's an easy position to take when it's not your business that's locked up right. and you can't get in right. to do any work and you're losing your hemorrhaging money as by the hour. So for me, what I tell clients is the most important thing is ensuring that you have backups in place. If your systems are regularly being backed up and those backups are not connected at all times to your existing server, then even if you get hit with a ransomware, the exposure or the harm to your business could be really minimized. And you don't need to engage the threat actors. You don't need to pay a ransom in many instances because you're able to restore from that backup. Yeah. So, uh, well, let's talk about your blog a little bit. Uh, I'm sure. curious about your practice, but uh, you, so your blog is Workplace Privacy Data Management and Security Report, uh, which you launched this blog back in 2009. So you've been doing this for quite a while. Uh, to the extent you remember back to 2009, what, what was it that led you uh, uh, to found this blog in the first place? What were you hoping to do with it? Well, my co-lead in my practice group, Joe Lazzarotti and I, at the time, we were sitting down and the firm was starting to explore the option of getting into blogging. Uh, we immediately identified it as an area where we could use this to reach a much broader audience and at the same time still develop a strong knowledge base for ourselves and get ourselves out there as potential thought leaders in the space. So while it's certainly a great business development tool and we viewed it through that lens, it also allows us to provide a great valuable resource for clients. So. I remember thinking back to 2009 and the first few posts that we had, or even the first few months that we were posting, you'd be able to track how many users, subscribers you had, because the numbers were often in the single digits. And now yeah. I look last year and we had 10. Your mother, thousand. your father. Your... Exactly right. <laughs> the people you might have told, hey, can you click on this? So it looks like we're getting some people here to view this. So now we look back and, and this past year, we've had tens of thousands of subscribers and users to the site. So it takes time, but it's certainly great to see that um, we've gotten some reward for the effort that we put into it. Yeah. Well, uh, so how has it worked from that business development point of view? Uh, it has, has it generated business in any way, either directly or indirectly? Certainly. Both from a directly, it certainly has, and indirectly as well. Uh, from the direct standpoint, uh, what I really find value about a blog is I'm at a large firm. I've been fortunate enough to be here my entire career. And with 950 attorneys in our firm, many of those are great resources for client referrals or a way to help develop business for their clients. So what I found very helpful with the blog is making sure that we have content that is relevant to those clients and that we're then getting that content to the clients. So I've had a number of clients or even colleagues come to us and say, hey, do you guys do anything about this area of the law? Or do you know anything about this potential issue? And there's really nothing better than being able to do a quick search on our blog for any content related to that and pull up all our posts and shoot that to the client and say, happy to have a discussion, but here's what we've written on the topic in short, easily digestible fashion. 
would you like to talk more about this? Just being able to provide that to clients, it's almost guaranteed that they're going to come back to you with work because now they know that you actually have some knowledge about this topic. Yeah. So, I mean, it's interesting because you you talked, you mentioned before that it becomes both a business development platform, but also a knowledge management platform, essentially, uh, for for your clients. But I would imagine for the firm as well. And it, it sounds like from what you're saying right now, it really does that. I mean, it, I know I often find that with my own blog, that it's something I know I wrote about it, uh, but I can't remember exactly what I wrote. But I jump on, you know, jump on the search and go back and find that post I wrote. And I'm like, oh, yeah, now I remember. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, is it is it does it serve that function within your firm as well for attorneys there? Absolutely. We use it not only for that business development piece with respect to clients, but also to try and help educate our colleagues on issues that may be impacting their clients. And a lot of what we do may fall outside the traditional labor and employment realm, which is what Jackson Lewis has. That's where we cut our teeth and that's what we're known for. Um, But so this is a great way for us to, again, tell our colleagues that, hey, this is a significant development or a significant issue that may be facing your clients and we can help. So if they have any questions about it, certainly feel free to send them our way and we can help help, help them through the process. Yeah. How has the blog evolved or changed uh, at all over the dozen or so years you've been doing it? I'd say that it's really, we've gotten much better at it and it's become very refined. I think when we started in 2009, it would take me a few hours to write an individual post. And at that time, it's certainly become much less now, depending on the topic that we're writing about. Uh, for me, I think the way that we've approached the blogs over time is that there's really three ways that we write a particular post. One being it's an update, which is usually short to the point. We want it to be hopefully contemporaneous with when the development comes out, for example, Last year, we were all waiting for guidance from the EEOC on the pandemic and whether you could take temperatures of your employees. So the minute that that guidance came out from the EEOC, we developed a post and had it up within the hour. So that's what we try and do with respect to updates. Then there's also insights into what might be coming next or an issue that a client may not be thinking about. I think those types of posts are a little bit longer, but again, trying to be direct and to the point and raise the issue for the client. And then the final one, or that I've seen us try and explore the type of post is an analysis of an existing law or an issue or a case. These are our longest types of posts, and sometimes they're in a series. Uh, we developed the California Consumer Privacy Act and California Privacy Rights Act series that cover the various aspects of those statutes, which, as we were talking about earlier, you simply can't cover in one post. It would be right. 25 pages long, and that's not really the, the goal right. of the blogger. You'd certainly lose readership very quickly, I think, if you tried to put that out. Yeah. And and who are you viewing as the readership of this? Uh, is this directed toward uh, employers or, or is it directed to other lawyers? Uh, who, who do you see as the audience for it? I think most of the time we're looking for clients and prospective clients, and that's who our audience is. But we also have utilize the blog for opportunities to grow and to develop younger attorneys and to attract additional talent. So a lot of the laterals that we've had come to the firm and who have joined our group have said to us, oh, I've been following your blog for some time. And that's why I had an interest in joining Jackson Lewis, or that's why I had an interest in joining your practice group. So I think there's certainly the business development and client development aspect to it. But also developing younger and more junior attorneys, I think is a great opportunity with the blogging as well. 
Yeah. Do you see, I, I noticed from your biography that you are involved with, maybe perhaps you lead there, the Hispanic Attorney Resource Group, which as I read it, is partly uh, directed toward that talent recruitment uh, uh, aspect and trying to bring more uh, Latinx people into the firm. Is there any connection between the blogging and the ability to bring in uh, more, more diverse people into the firm? I certainly view it as that way. And the way that I view that is not necessarily the post itself being targeted towards a particular group, but rather sharing that content and the fact that we have a practice group like this with organizations like the Hispanic National Bar Association or even local chapters at the state level. Uh, being a co-lead of the Hispanic Attorney Resource Group at Jackson Lewis has given me a lot of opportunities to do that and to try and, again, establish ourselves as thought leaders and get that message out there that this may be a great practice area for someone who's looking to advance themselves and advance their career. Right. So it's not so much a, that a specific post, somebody's going to read it and say, oh, I love that firm, but th that it raises awareness about the firm in general and the work that the firm does and the opportunities of the firm. Exactly right. Yeah. Um, has your own role evolved as well? I mean, I, I know that you and Joe, uh, who you mentioned before, are co-editors of the blog, but there are others who contribute to the blog, as, as I understand it. Uh, so how has how does that work? How, how do you, what is your role as editor of the blog and, and how do others come to contribute to it? So Joe and I, our role has really evolved significantly over time. When we first started, we were the authors and editors. We were the ones writing all the posts, developing the content, considering what we were going to write about, and then making sure that we were tracking readership or tracking users and subscribers. Uh, over time, our group has significantly expanded. I think we've had about 50 different authors on posts on our blog, and we've also got an outstanding, and frankly, I can't say enough good things about her, Maya Trachi, who's our knowledge management attorney and helps us manage and edit the blog. She does an outstanding job co-authoring posts with myself and other members of our group and or highlighting key issues that she may have identified and things that she's read as something that we may want to write about. So Having others to lean on and to help develop that content has really been key, and that's really where my role has developed over time. But we still try, Joe and I both still try and stay involved as much as possible in ensuring that we're picking and choosing the types of content that is going to be published by the blog so that I think we have a pretty good sense for what clients or prospective clients are going to be looking for from us. Yeah. As a, as a solo blogger myself, who, who uh, you know, as you say, chef, cook and bottle washer uh, on the <laughs> blog, uh, I, I'm always intrigued by how that works in a larger firm. I mean, you, you mentioned before the, the different kinds of posts you do, like perhaps uh, news comes down from the EEOC today uh, and you want to get an alert out about that quickly. Do you have some kind of a process around that or a workflow around that or who decides who's going to write that up and it, how does that work? We don't necessarily have a process about it. It's more about when the particular topic or issue comes to, comes to light. So, for example, the EEOC guidance that we were talking about earlier, we knew it was coming. So we were all on the lookout for it, and it was just a matter of when this comes, let's be prepared to have something ready to go. So in many instances in the past, we've actually started to develop content ahead of time. Uh, for example, with the CCPA, we knew that it passed the legislature and it was just waiting for the governor's signature in California. So we were able to develop posts or content related to that, ready to go the moment that the governor signed it, saying the governor just signed this. Here's some of the impact that might have for you. So I think it's, again, trying to be flexible and to adapt with 
the type of issue that we're writing about as to whether or not it fits in one of those particular categories. Yeah. Uh, something attorneys often ask me about blogging uh, is how to fit it into a practice, how to, how to balance the time spent on both blogging and on keeping track of the topics that you need to keep track of in order to blog and keeping up with all the legal work you have to do. So how, what's, what does that balance look like for you? How do you <laughs> handle all those things? We, maybe, is, we like five or, right, maybe we could talk in five or 10 years when I figure that out. It's, as you said, Bob, it's, it's tough. But the way that I look at it is we're doing the reading already. We're trying to stay on top of this area, especially in privacy and data security. As I mentioned earlier, I think it's cutting edge. A lot of the law is developing quickly, and states are passing new legislation uh, almost on a daily basis, certainly considering it on a daily basis. So if you're spending the time to read about those developments and learn about them, for me, it's, I found that a, a very good educational tool to say, let's write about it. If I take the time to spend an hour writing on a topic after I've read about a particular statute or case for an hour, it really solidifies it in my mind. And really, I view it, again, as a, it's got dual purpose there. One, the business development side of the blog and making sure that we have the appropriate knowledge management content up there. But then two, making sure that I'm learning about the topic so that I can advise clients on it as we go forward. So I think if you look at it as that and you know, through that lens, that this can serve multiple purposes for you, you'll be able to find the time to do it. Yeah. You said that you and Joe both learned a lot about blogging in the in the 12 years uh, since you started this. Uh, what have you learned about how to write a blog post? Has, have, has your approach to that changed or have you learned anything uh, that you think is particularly important to understand about how to write an effective blog post? I think it's developed, or certainly developed over time. Um, I take the approach and it's something that I learned in college from one of my mentors then that if you really know what you're talking about, about a particular topic or if you're an expert on a particular topic, you should be able to explain it to anybody in easily and simple terms. So that's really the approach that we've had with the blog from the start. And I think it's something that we need to continue to remind ourselves about, especially as this area of the law develops and some of the things that we deal with, and for example, HIPAA can be very dense. And getting into the HIPAA regulations, you can lose an audience very quickly. So ensuring that over time, we've continued to focus in on making the content short, easily digestible, and getting a clear message across to our readership has been the key for us, I think. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned earlier that you were, I think you said you were the first blog at Jackson Lewis, uh, and I know they have uh, other blogs now, but do you, do you think that... Um, even as your blog has evolved, do you think the place of blogging in the legal profession has evolved over those 12 years? Do you think blogging is more or less important or relevant now than it was a dozen years ago? Absolutely. I think if you look back 12 years ago, there was not, we were probably in the minority of firms who were blogging. And now if you look, I think you'd be hard pressed to find a firm and certainly a firm of any size that does not have an existing blog structure in place and a platform that allows their attorneys or their thought leaders to express their views and to make sure that they're getting that content out there. So yeah, if you're not in the game already, you certainly should be. I, I never think it's too late, but I think you are a little bit behind from where everybody else is currently. Yeah. And, and any thoughts on why that is? I mean, why do you think that blogs have become, have grown in popularity and, and readership over those years? I think a lot of it has to do with social media and what our attention span is for certain topics. 
And many of us like to read things in a quick fashion. I think a lot about the articles that you might see. And I know there's some blogs out there as well. And ours will eventually have this functionality also that says two-minute read, three-minute read. So you yeah. know what you're getting into before you click on a post or an article. And I think that's really been the key for why blogs have had so much success because they're taking these overly complex issues and really making them understandable for the readers. Yeah. Um, with Robert, you mentioned social media. Are you, have you been involved in promoting the blog or trying to build the readership for the blog over the years uh, and if so, how have you done that, or or how has the firm tried to tried if if they've tried at all to build readership? How do they promote the blog? How do they try and get it out there? Absolutely. So we share the blog on all our social media channels, whether it's the firm's Facebook page, the Twitter feed. Uh, we've developed partnerships with JD Supra and some other organizations to share our content. Uh, all of those are great ways to reach a broader audience. Uh, for us, again, having or being fortunate at the firm of the size that we are, we have a very large client subscriber base who wants information from all the different Jacksonville's blogs or practice areas. So being able to reach out to them and share our content with that broad client base has really helped grow our readership and expand the breadth of our blog. Yeah. Uh, do you think, again, I, I know I asked early on in this interview about some of the business development opportunities that might have come around because of the blog, but but do you do you think that your practice or your, even your practice group would be different today had you not started the blog? Has, has the blog been overall a sort of a positive influence or a non-influence or, or a negative influence on your practice? I think it's been a significant positive influence. Um, as I mentioned earlier, it's shown to colleagues and potential colleagues that we, in fact, know what we're talking about, and we cover all of these different types of issues. And it also allows members of our practice group to find a niche for themselves. So uh, privacy, data, and cybersecurity can be a very broad topic, but there's so many narrow areas within it that members of our group are able to really focus in their practice group or their expertise on a particular area. So I really could not imagine our practice group without the blog. And I think that the fact that we started it so early has really been a, a boon to our practice group as a whole. Yeah. As you said, it's, it, maybe it's a little bit more challenging to start a blog now than it might have been uh, 12 years ago in terms of just the, the, the competitive landscape. But uh, if somebody were to come to you and ask your advice on whether uh, it would be good for them to start a blog, uh, what, what kinds of uh, advice would you give them on that? One, start right away. <laughs> Don't delay. <laughs> And try and don't just write about content that you see someone else writing about or see another firm writing about. Try and write, write about a topic that is either of an interest to yourself or that you know is going to be of interest to your client, to your clients or prospective clients. I think that goes a long way into defining what your blog is going to be and what the topics are that you're going to discuss. And it also allows your readers to know what to expect when they go to your blog. What, what type of content are they going to find you there? I think defining that type of scope for yourself at the outset will really make things smooth for you as you try and develop a blog and expand your readership profile. There are any number of blogs out there on on data privacy and, and cybersecurity now. Uh, is there room for more blogs? I mean, can somebody else come into an area that that is already being covered by a number of blogs and still carve out a niche for themselves there, do you think? 
I think so. And the reason being, while I certainly think we are all smart, and I certainly think my colleague Joe is probably a little smarter than me, but (laughs) in any event, while we're all smart, there's always different perspectives that someone else might have on a topic and a different way to approach it or to look at it. So I think it's important to get that different viewpoint. And that's why I think there is a value for additional blogs to be out there. Again, as long as you're dedicating the time needed to ensure that the content is good and that you're actually providing a value there to your readership, I do see it as a potential to still get into in, in the game. Yeah. Do you read other blogs? I do. Yeah. I do. I, I in, think in data privacy or all over the place? In data privacy and all over the place. Uh, yeah. One, from a data privacy perspective, it's always great to see a topic that others are identifying or that, as I mentioned, how others may have approached a topic from a different viewpoint or a different angle. I think that goes a long way to advising our own clients on issues that might impact them or issues that could potentially impact them that they may not be thinking about. Yeah. Uh, Jason, before we wrap up, uh, I've been asking you lots of questions and I always like to give my guests an opportunity to uh, take the floor for a moment and say anything else that they'd like to say that I haven't asked you about. Is there anything else that you'd like to say regarding the topic of blogging or your, or your own blog? Uh, Just from a blogging perspective, I'd certainly want anybody who's listening today to feel as though they can reach out to me if they have any questions, if they think I can share any insight or any of my experiences to help them have a better or more successful blog or to even get into blogging at the outset. I'm happy to have those discussions. And certainly if anybody has any privacy, data, or cybersecurity issues, feel free to reach out to me. And I'd encourage everyone to sign up and to subscribe to our blog. Again, I think there's a lot of valuable content there that is very timely and that these issues in the privacy realm are not going away. If anything, in 2021 and beyond, they're only going to become more prevalent for all of us. Well, Jason, thank you very much for taking the time to uh, talk about your blog with us today. It's been a real pleasure to speak with you. Thanks, Bob. It's been a pleasure to speak with you as well. I appreciate having me. So we've been speaking with Jason Gavagian, uh, principal of Jackson Lewis uh, and uh, co-editor of the Workplace Privacy Data Management and Security Report, as well as co-lead of their uh, data privacy group at Jackson Lewis. Uh, This program uh, is presented by uh, LexBlog. And on behalf of everybody at LexBlog, this is Bob Ambrogi. We will be back again next week with another leading legal blogger from another leading blogger from the legal profession. Uh, And until then, uh, this is Bob Ambrogi. Thanks for listening.